That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Foundations Recovery Network. Our mission is to create lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. In our history of doing good is the promise of your future getting better. So if you or someone you love needs help, please know we are here to help. And the sign on our door says, we care. We create an individualized treatment plan for the whole person, for the whole you, because to us, you matter. The first step to recovery is heroic. We know that. And with our heroes in recovery movement, we honor those who have taken that step toward recovery and stand up for you and stand beside you and stand together to break the stigma placed on addiction. Call our confidential and private line at 877-714-1318. We are here to help you. And help has a phone number. 877-714-1318. Make the call. We're listening. We're Foundations Recovery Network. Welcome, Sober Guy Radio. We're at Innovations Behavioral Healthcare Conference. And uh, today we're talking with Jennifer Angier from Atlanta. She's the CEO of Black Bear Lodge. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great to sit and chat with you. We just got to chatting a little bit beforehand and... Um, like to start out by getting to know a little bit about you um, in your uh, over 20 plus years of experience in uh, behavioral health care. Uh, you're also in recovery yourself. So maybe we can start with uh, giving us a little background about what your life was like before you got clean and sober. Very different than it was to, than it is today. Yeah. I can tell you that. So I was very, I was blessed to, it didn't feel like a blessing at the time, but to get yeah. sober very young. I got sober at 18. And um, one of the things you hear a lot when you're 18 and get sober is how lucky you are mm-hmm. and how fortunate you are to get sober young. And I can say, I can speak for a number of young, uh, young adults that I have met, it doesn't feel like luck. It feels like failure at an epic proportions, right? That somehow or another you got to stay out there and use longer than I did. But for me, you <laughs> yeah. know, as I look back on it, um, I think a lot of what drove me towards the drink is, is the same, or have the same force and energy of what drives me towards my life's work. I needed to have meaning and purpose and I had none. I, I saw meaning and purpose all around me and um, I was raised in a unique scenario with um, Olympic athletes my whole life. Really? Very talented, beautiful people that, that worked hard at their craft and I had nothing. I had no, no gifts, no, um, no direction, uh, not for the lack of people trying to offer it to me I just couldn't yeah. touch it I couldn't feel it and drugs and alcohol took me to to that place quickly and then dropped me hard down yeah. at the end was it something that did you feel did you feel like you um, you didn't have something or was it just something that you later found out you had but just weren't able to recognize at that time for me the what tortured me is also what drives me today I from a very young age I could I remember feeling different I remember feeling yeah. like people it hurt for me to be around people. It hurt. I knew what they were feeling and thinking, and I translated into that there was something wrong with me. That I would walk into a lunchroom and almost feel like 
time would stop and everyone would notice me and I was huh. not pretty enough. I was not smart enough. I was, I was so, I felt so very alone. And um, mostly I just felt people and they felt, it felt hard for me. As it turns out, that's my gift, right? Well, yeah, and I, I was going to say that's, that's really interesting because um, do, you, do you sense like this extra, um, this extra force of feeling empathy for other people where you can almost feel their pain or their struggle or is that kind of what you're getting at yeah and yeah. and to me at a young age it all translated into something's wrong with me right it all translated it. Okay. into that there's it, I, I wouldn't feel this this shift I, I i couldn't i would notice them and it meant that they were noticing me and they were noticing my flaws and mm. instead today when i walk into a room and i can feel um, people's love and their their struggles and yeah. their their brokenness and their challenges and their courage it is it is my inspiration it's it's yeah. what drives me every single day and i remember i remember writing a letter i actually found it the other day um, really to god <laughs> saying um just give me a talent i just want to have something wow. that i'm good at you know with a sister that was so talented physically a brother that was so brilliant um another family member who sang i i, I and i just i needed something and i yeah. and um and who knew that God would show up like He did? And yeah, yeah. No, it's and and uh, I'm I'm a firm believer in that that we all got we have we all have a God-given unique talent and it's all different. Everyone's is different, and uh, you know, like many of us in recovery, that talent is hidden for so long because it's masked behind drugs and alcohol, and we don't, or, or maybe the talent that we think. And I'm speaking from my personal experience because I'm I'm a musician. I wanted to be in the music business. I'm passionate about music. Um, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily my gift. I didn't find out until after I got sober that Mm -hmm. it was more just people just talking to people, you know what I mean? And it was for the wrong reasons. So, Mm -hmm. um, where did, where did your life go after? Well, first of all, what was that? Did you have like a light bulb moment or a moment where you, you just decided like, I don't, I don't want to drink. I don't want to use drugs. I want to change even at the young age of 18. Um, what was that like? That transition into that? It was. Uh, it was nothing. Nothing disastrous happened on that day. You know, yeah. there had been many more disastrous days. But the problem was, is I could I could make a story up that made those disasters normal, right? But on this particular day, I remember looking at the mirror of cocaine and saying, "This is bigger than me." Hmm. And that was simply it. That silence of that sort of silence of more like I wanted more all the time and yeah and all of a sudden looking at that mirror saying there's not enough it's, yeah. this is it and um knowing that I that I was in in over my head and that I believe was grace that moment of clarity that moment of truth because that had yeah. been happening for a long time and then um I just went to treatment and I had no idea what I was getting into I didn't yeah. I had no idea <laughs> uh, the, the how large the situation was going to be and and what was what was going to come into my life as a result so so transitioning into you you kind of finding out this about yourself you start learning about yourself and then um making the decision or realizing that i do have a gift now how can i put this back and give back to um, the recovery community so where does that journey start and um, i know you said you've you've done damn near every job in the business i'm sure so um take us back to that and how it's kind of evolved so and that's what i'm talking about today at the conference i'm talking about your life's work your dharma and finding that right and so i remember where i literally again remember our standing i was at work at a job that i had no business being in and uh, it just was so so boring to me and it just didn't i wasn't smart enough for it is what i thought but it was because it didn't light me up and 
I remember where I was standing and I said, I have to be around alcoholics. I just want to be around them. Hmm. And um, I want to be around that. But I knew kind of exactly what I wanted to be around. I wanted to be around the courage it took to get sober. And so I, I went and interviewed at, and I had no, I had a seventh grade education, uh, literally. Uh, I had no qualifications, two years sober, and you know a child. And I went in. And uh, a child. I was eight. No, I was a child. Oh, I thought you said and a child. And <laughs> no. I was like, what? No. Wow, that's gonna be. <laughs> no, l- luckily for any future children, I did not have one at that moment. So, um, so I, I, I went in, and, and of course that combination of ego and and uh, yeah. I, I applied for the CEO position. Um, <laughs> so no they they allowed me to be a receptionist, and I was a. <laughs> terrible receptionist but I remember the the patients showing up every day and just being inspired by like by their coming their, their, they kept showing up they yeah. kept saying I need help I, yeah. I need this thing not knowing what it was or what it looked like and uh, from that given opportunities and teachers uh, teachers that saw my life's work and also saw the danger of the undisciplined nature of my, my gift my gift came out long before I was qualified to hold it so they taught me the dangers of this work and the dangers of, of your ego and how you can use patience to get your own needs met. Really? And um, these teachers were uh, life-changing for me. Every day it was do no harm, do no harm. Look at how your, your need to have a gift can be um, abused by patients telling does, you how, how great you are. Does that stuff really happen in where, where that, that can go down that road? Yes. It, it's, really? it's a very seductive invitation to uh, finding out who you are when a patient tells you you're the greatest when a person says you've saved my life it is um, to be able to step back and be in awe of that process that you just get to be there rather than thinking you know damn straight like I got skills you know so you gotta you gotta (laughs) yeah so how do you separate that for me it was teachers it was teachers and it was sort of again this gift being very genuine and, and a part of me starting to learn like that's not a good sign um, and uh, and then do, taking the responsibility to discipline myself to get the education. So I um, I went I got my certification in addiction counseling, and then I went to school, which yeah. was such a brutal journey. With a seventh grade education, yeah. it took me eight years to get my undergrad of eight hard years. And I graduated summa cum laude and a, a good from a very reputable university, and, yeah. and a good sign of sort of the consequences of using. While I graduated with highest honors, I didn't know how to spell summa cum laude. <laughs> so there are things from our using yeah. that never that never go away. Consequences, and I'm willing to hold those consequences. And then I was able to go back and get my master's, and um, and again, more importantly than all that, teachers along yeah. the way. So so you kind of already went into it. Um, it would sound like you were already kind of a step ahead of, in that action and being able to listen and learn and have some people. Um, that you trusted that were supporting you and teaching you along the way when you went into this um, this career or as you learned dealing with patients you were already kind of hip to the game I guess in mm-hmm. other words in what what could happen if you let ego pride those type of things get in your way yeah I yeah. was it, from from their experience and then I got to watch it in others I, I would be able to see people who didn't heed those warnings yeah um, and how they hurt people and I didn't want to do that yeah you know and then um, and then it came back to to protecting the gift and that that really didn't start until I was able to recognize the patient's gifts and how they were trying to do their life's work and I became more and more and more inspired and went into this deep journey of respect and love for the process of getting sober and not even just getting sober of coming alive 
of finding your life's yeah. work. You know, I tell the story of uh, an artist that's really important to me is Van Gogh, and I love his work. I love, I can hardly talk about it without crying. I love to be in front of his work and to see his paint, you know, and the mm-hmm. globs of it. And, and Vincent Van Gogh did most of his work in mental institutions. Really? The most beautiful work that we stand in front of, he, he accomplished that in the places where people think they're failing. And that's not what's happening. When you step into recovery, you are doing your life's, you're, you're seeing to your life's work. Yeah. It's not the end of the journey, yeah. but it is an important part of the beginning. And we might not all come out with a painting in our hand, um, but for us, it's even more valuable than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so let's let's get into that a little bit on the, the passion and when, when you're able to really find something you're passionate about when you do. Time time is irrelevant at that point. Like, I can literally work for 15 hours, and yeah, I'm, I'll be physically tired, um, and, and maybe even a bit mentally tired, but it doesn't feel like work because I'm, I'm very, very passionate about what I do. What about the burnout? Let's let's talk about that a little bit. How yeah. do we how do we kind of... Take care of ourselves and take care of yeah, the gift, right? Yeah. Well, I think um, we were talking earlier, Parker Palmer is a huge inspiration to me. He has a book called Let Your Life Speak, and he speaks on burnout in a way that I'd never heard it before. And I just read this recently where he said, yes, there is a condition called burnout, and that that's when we are we're taking from a well that has, a, that has um, an end to it, right? It's not yeah. our gift. It is simply something we've learned or something like your music, like you're supposed to do it. Yeah, you feel, I love it. I enjoy it, but yeah. it's but it's not. Ne- I'm good at it, but right. it's not necessarily my gift. It doesn't light you up. There's yeah. not that fire inside of you yeah. like there is when you do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he, he talks about the experience of burnout is when we are stepping just a tiny bit over to the side of a place that's not ours authentically, organically. Mm-hmm. He says that, and I believe this, that burnout isn't, isn't what we experience when we're coming from our true place of our life's work. When we are really, truly coming from that well, yeah. there, it's, it never ends. It's a spring rather than a well. It just keeps filling up and filling up. And that, um, we come home tired, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> but it fills up by the time we wake up again. So, um, but even in that space, as we have to learn a new part of our craft then truth comes into it, right? As you started to learn this craft even more, you uh, probably wanted to go, no, you know, the other way is easier. Like for me, interviewing is yeah. so challenging. So I'm just going to go over here and do it and say, no, come sit down and do this interview. Yeah, right? yeah, because I know what I'm good at already. Yeah. I know where I've, my comfort zone is. Um, it's hard to do that, to step out, out of is. the comfort zone. So sometimes if we stay too closely in our comfort zone, burnout can happen there too because the truth has passed. Ah, yes. The gift has passed into another dimension. Yeah. And so now we're back in that place where there's limits to our reserves and yeah so it's that it's it's that balance of continuing and then, and then we get stuck in the same thing doing over and over and mm-hmm. you know here's something that kind of just popped into my mind here i think that uh, there might be some folks out there listening who uh, may be searching for their passion i know that was me for a long time what is my passion like how what advice can you give how do you find your passion like if somebody is is wondering I'm looking for something that I just read the other day. You know, most of the time it's right there. It's right next to us. It's so close and we don't even know it. There's a a line in another book that I read that said something something strange happened on the way to my vocation, right? Uh And it tells that story of, of being just super, super close that we were... So, but we can miss it by aim, right? Um, yeah. So, a line that I was just thinking of is said, "Oops, he almost made it." Um, squarely at the center of his vocation, he was living very close in proximity, but it was he was he wasn't in the center of it, right? Yeah. And when you're not in the center of it, that target of dharma, like right there, smack dab in the middle of it. So, the good news is, is most of us are close. So maybe you. Um, you are in the church and you think you're supposed to be a priest, but really you're supposed to be in the choir. 
right, leading the choir. And what draws you to the church is the music over and over and over again. Yeah. But then as you stay in that role of priest, you get more and more fading and fading, yeah. when, but you feel inspired by the music. So it's just pay attention to what's around you. Yeah. It's not necessarily what you think it is, yeah. and, um, but it might be. You know, and 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 it isn't about being good at it or not good at it. We're terrible judges at our own dharma. You know, we really are. It, but it is our sacred duty. It's our vocation. It's what we're meant to do. And if we yeah. don't do it, it will destroy us. Yeah. Um. So, to someone out there listening, maybe they're maybe they're struggling. Maybe it could be a number of these things. Um. You know, trying to find their passion. They also may be um in a in a bad spot with addiction, with alcohol, alcoholism. Uh, maybe they're in a, a, a family issue, all, all kinds of different things. You know, the list can go on. Um, to kind of generalize it, what advice can you give someone out there right now who's listening, who's struggling, um, who wants to reach out but doesn't really know what to do or where to start? It's a number of different people in a very different place. I can say that for me, um, when I learned that um, in some ways I was hiding even behind my own recovery, I think a lot of people stay out of recovery because they. They think really that's all you do is you get sober and then that's it. You just get sober. And that's yeah. not, that doesn't feel fulfilling to me. I want to stop using, but I don't want to be doomed to a life of um, my biggest accomplishment is I didn't use today. Yeah. And um, while that is, makes all other accomplishments possible, recovery was was how I got to my life's work. It pointed, it, it was yeah, it was the finger pointing point. to my gift, yeah. right? It brought me to it. Um, so... So it's um, in your recovery as you start to spin your wheels. It could be because you've, you've, for me, it was because I, I had misinformed myself that my life's work was to get sober. Yeah. Well, while again, that was the finger pointing towards my dharma. It was meant for me to get sober, but my life's work was to help people find their life's work and to help yeah. transition them into that. Right. So so close, but just the aim was everything. Right. Yeah. And then for somebody that's that has that that burning to get sober but they don't know how they they think they've tried too many times that's that's another thing that story of it's not meant for me like I've been to mm. meetings I've been to treatment I've done this this is um, this is not for me um, don't stop trying right yeah. because what isn't for us is the lie of the disease the lie that I can't play music without being stoned the lie that I I can't do anything without taking a drink that's um, it's not true it's simply yeah. just not true sobriety is more than you could ever imagine because it isn't just sobriety it's life it's truth it's grace yeah. it's, it's the yeah. whole deal so I would say show up again find a place that fits for you um, and make them work for you right we work for you in the treatment I work for you we have this incredible facility Black Bear Lodge I, I'm so proud to be there but it's and not for in everybody Atlanta, right? it's Black in Bear. North Georgia or right? North Georgia okay. but when somebody shows up and they hate it I don't beat them over the head and say yeah. this, oh, this place is great you know what maybe we're not great for them uh, it's our responsibility to find them the right spot, right? Yeah. So, because if I go to Mayo Clinic to treat my cancer and I don't have the right doctor, does that mean I stop treating my cancer? No, yeah, no. I, I go to ho I go where I have to go. Mm -hmm. This is this thing is killing us. You know, yeah. it's winning. So I would say that I would say don't stop. Don't let a bad experience keep you from your one and only life. Yeah, don't um, give up. Don't give up. Yeah, uh, keep trying. Make us make let us help you and. Um, and then in early recovery, just uh, hang on and hang on because it's yeah. a, it's quite a it's quite an amazing ride. Yeah, it it's. I, I'll tell you a quick funny story. When I when I came uh, I came home from from treatment, and um, my wife and I we've known each other since sixth grade. Uh -huh. I I love old country music. I'm 
have Cash tattooed on my neck because my son's name is Cash. I'm a Johnny Cash fan from a, when I was a little boy. My grandma used to take me around to garage sales and we'd listen to Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. But that being said, I've never wore Wranglers or cowboy boots or anything like that. I'm a California guy. I've never done that, right? So I get home from treatment and I'm, I'm in this mode. I have no idea who the hell I am. And I'm like, I'm going to be a working man. I went out and like bought like two pairs of Wranglers and like some cowboy boots and I came home and I was like, this is me. And my wife was like, who in the hell is this guy? <laughs> and so it, my point to this is, is it can be so confusing and challenging, but I did. I hung in there and I kept pushing and I kept pushing and um, had great support, thankfully, you know, thank God. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really possible to find your passion, to do, I mean, exactly what we're talking about. Just got to hang in there for sure. Right. You know, and what a gift, what a selfless gift you have. You don't even get to see the people that you're talking to. Yeah. You don't even know who they are. And it's, you're just putting it out into this sort of dark hole and just saying, maybe somebody. And that, that is such a beautiful, beautiful gift. But I, you know, I remember I went bowling. I was 18. I was like, all right, I'll do bowling. I hated bowling. I didn't just say, well, the sea sobriety stinks because I hate bowling. No, I just didn't like bowling. Right. I was bored, and I remember someone saying to me, I was like, I'm so bored. And they said, no, you're actually kind of boring. Like, you know, get it, get into life. Yeah. But um, so it's our, the selflessness of your life's work of, of, of when you find it. It's a, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. I love how you brought up Johnny Cash. Can I tell you Johnny Cash story? Oh, I'd love to hear Johnny Cash story. Okay, so have you, I don't know if you've read his biography, but it's a beautiful biography. It's I haven't it. read the book, but I hear it's much better than the movie. They left a lot of the stuff out in the movie. I didn't know the movie was made from the book. I didn't know that. I, I, don't, I don't know that it was... Um, that it was taken from the book, but I know they left a lot of his faith out of the movie. That's a huge part of his life, that battle between good and evil. Um, he, he had a very dark road that he traveled down, mm-hmm. and he also had um, a very powerful connection to God and mm-hmm. to Christ, and he they, they didn't really touch on that in the movie. So I'll have to check the, the biography So this story so, does. So yeah. him and I, I have it actually read the story, this part of the book. I don't have it with me. But so I'll try to paraphrase it. So he and June were in New York, mm-hmm. and they were walking down the street, and uh, they decided to just go to church in a city that they hadn't gone to church in. Yeah. You know, this particular church, they just chose it because it was right there. So they walked in, and the whole congregation was looking forward, except for this one little boy who was looking at the door. And when June and Johnny walked in, he screamed, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash has come to church with me, Johnny Cash. And everybody sort of turned around and he kept saying, I told you, I told you he was coming. I told you he was coming. And so there were no seats in the whole congregation except right next to this beautiful boy. It turns out he was mentally handicapped. He was, um, but he was so full of joy. And, um, And the preacher came over and told them the story that yes, he had indeed said, for every time he was there that Johnny Cash was one day going to come into that church and worship no. with him and the parents were Jewish so they went out to eat afterwards and the parents parents filled in the story and they said we're Jewish but our son has become a Christian from listening to your music wow. and he um, we go to that church because he wanted to meet you and he knew that you were coming wow and that's a, that's unbelievable thank you for sharing that story that's story. so great so yeah. what happened for me after that was, was like okay so do I can I, do I believe that or I just believe that was some kind of flourish he put in his yeah. I believe that story yeah. just like that little boy believed he was going to show up so I call those moments that I don't have words for I call them Johnny Cash moments <laughs> whenever God shows up and I don't know what to call yeah. it I just it's call Johnny it Johnny Cash. Cash I might have to steal that from you I hope you don't mind I do I'll send you the I don't <laughs> mind right. I'll send you the, um, really the story cool. from the book but yeah. Johnny Cash uh, shows up all the time God just shows up and, and surprises me and shows yeah. off you yeah. know and, and um, especially we're in our Dharma 
Well, let's uh, let's jump into the heart and hustle round, and I'll tell you what that is. So okay. you put your heart into each answer, but we're going to hustle it up in 30 seconds okay. or a minute. Okay. Surprise round. I didn't know about this. Here we go. Yes. So just uh, no- number one, and this is the fun one. Number one, where's the weirdest place you've ever woken up? Um, right where I was, and I didn't know I was there. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I have never heard that one before. That's a good one. All right, number two, what's the best thing about being sober? Without a doubt, truth. Truth. Honesty, truth. I like mm-hmm. that. Number three, what is one thing you know now you wish you would have known at the beginning of your sobriety? That I could, that it would work. That it would, I rem- for two years I said, I will, this is not going to work for me. I'm not good enough yeah. for it. And they told me every day, and I was terrified every day. It's huh. just going to get stolen from me. I wish I'd, I wish I hadn't. Um, had to be so afraid yeah. for so long. Number four, how do you stay sober? I, um, I do willingness and grace. First of all, grace, for sure. The fact that I've been restored to sanity, that I can hear my disease. Yeah. Um, the biggest gift is that I have that. Well, no, no. The biggest gift is I know it's a gift, right? Huh. Yeah. So I do, I do um, the things I don't want to. When I lie, I tell the truth. Um, when I don't want to do something that I know will be helpful, I do it. Yeah. So really willingness. I think I said like five answers to that. <laughs> it's okay. It reminded me of one of my favorite phrases I learned in treatment. It was move your ass and your mind will follow. Yeah. And so if I get up off my ass and I start moving, my mind will eventually catch up with it mm-hmm. and then I can take action. Otherwise, I'll sit there all day and make excuses why I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> and for me, that for me the, the, the thing I've done consistently is tell the truth. And if I, yeah. if I lie, um, which... You know, comes quite naturally to me. I have to like look you in the eye and go, "Okay, wait a minute, that was just a yeah, lie." Yeah, yeah. You know, and I have to tell the truth. That's powerful. All right. Last but not least, where can uh, anyone out there listening, if they want to get in contact with you, if they want to find more information about Black Bear Lodge, where can they look? Foundations Recovery Network is the company that that I, the division of U, of UHS that I'm a part of, and we have a fantastic group of people that will find you no matter what. We'll find you a place that's right for you. Foundations anywhere else. So go to Foundations Recovery. Um, dot com and uh, call call our call center and there are people there that will help you uh, tell them where you heard tell them that you want to be in touch with me however we can help you that is what we are uh, born to do got it Jennifer thank you so much for joining us today on Sober Guy Radio thank you so much what All a privilege right. to be here thank you very thank much you. thanks for listening for more information or to join the Sober Guy Sober Girl community go to www.thatsoberguy.com peace love respect keep your blood clean